PGTTCM is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Look cool and keep warm this winter. Strap some Cthulhu slippers to your feet and wear a cool shirt from your favorite cult films. BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out the website at PGTTCM.com and the RSS feed at PGTTCM.com ttcm.podbean.com and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to be P- <laughs> to PGTTCM on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. <clears throat> Greetings, listeners. This is I, Lobelia Westminster Spencer, here to talk to you once again about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature or things that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. Now. 613, series 6, episode 13. Innsmouth and the Innsmouth Look, a Brian Craft book. Help support the show through Patreon, PayPal, or Amazon. Donate $1 or $5 via patreon.com slash pgttcm. Donate what you wish at paypal.me slash pgttcm or go to the Amazon link at pgttcm.com and shop as you normally would. Just this month, the show made $9.70. Here's what you bought. Sega Genesis Classic Game Console Deluxe Special Edition 2017. Bodum Bistro Water Kettle, Electric Water Kettle Red, 17 ounces. Sunset, The Great Outdoors Cookbook, Adventures in Cooking Under the Open Sky. Scotty TM, Shiny Tobacco Pipe, Small Tobacco Pipe. This Shiny Tobacco Pipe, (laughs) Small Tobacco Pipe. What is that? (laughs) Do you think tobacco is in there so people won't know what it's really for? I think it says tobacco pipe so people. I don't know. I do need to say, like, tobacco water pipe for bong anymore now that, like. Hmm, I wonder. I mean, in, in our states at least. No, I mean, people, like, I mean. Down in North Portland, there's a marijuana shop that has a big flag outside that just says bongs, and I I love it because it's like they're not being subtle. It's one of those things that you'd have like outside of like a car dealership, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm sure you you recall a period of time in our life that if you went oh, to yeah. a head shop or something like that, you they'd said be like bong. They'd be like, yeah, you get out of here, man. Yeah. We don't sell drug apparatus. <laughs> well, I'm sure that that happened, but I never went to enough head shops to do that because I was too much of a goody-goody. Oh, goody-goody. Yeah. All right, let's get back to this. Back to the show. This episode, we'll be talking about Innsmouth and some Innsmouth-related <laughs> things. Can you do that again? <laughs> <This> is, <coughs> I'm done coughing my guts out. Yeah, sure. As soon as my sound engineer gets it together... I'll record it again. (laughs) This episode will be talked... It was a town of wide extent and dense construction, yet one with a portentous dearth of visible life. From the tangle of chimney pots, scarcely a wisp of smoke came, and three...
three tall steeples loom stark and unpainted against the seaward horizon. One of them was crumbling down at the top, and in that the other there were only black gaping holes where clock dials should have been. The vast huddle of sogging gambrel roofs and peaked gable courtyards with offensive clearness the idea of wormy decay and as we approached along the now descending road i could see that many roofs were wholly caved in there were some large square georgian houses too the decay was worse closer to the waterfront though in its very midst i could say that the white belfry of a fairly well-preserved brick structure which looked like a small factory. The harbor, long clogged with sand, was encrusted by an ancient stone breakwater. Here and there, the ruins of wharves jutted from the stone to end the intermediate rottenness from farthest north-south seeming, the most decayed and far out to sea, despite the high tide. I glimpsed a long black line scarcely rising above the water, yet carrying a suggestion of odd latent malignancy. This, I knew, must be Devil's Reef. The Shadow over Rinsmith. H.P. Lovecraft. Massachusetts is a fictional town created by American author H.P. Lovecraft. Ever hear of the guy? as a setting for one of his horror stories, and referenced subsequently in some of his other works and by other authors who wrote stories taking place in the world Lovecraft created with his stories. Lovecraft first used the name Innsmouth in his 1920 short story, Celephus. Celephius. Innsmouth was first identified in two of his cycle of sonnets, Fungi from Your Goth. Lovecraft called Innsmouth a considerably twisted version of Newburyport, Massachusetts, placed on the coast of Essex County, Massachusetts, south of Plum Island and north of Cape Ann. The town of Ipswich, Massachusetts, is said to be a near neighbor where many Innsmouth residents do their shopping. Rowley, Massachusetts, another neighboring town, is said to be the north, the northwest. This would place Innsmouth in the vicinity of Essex Bay. Lovecraft writes that Innsmouth was founded in 1643, noted for shipbuilding before the Revolution, a seat of great marine prosperity in the early 19th century, and later a minor factory center. The loss of sailors due to shipwrecks and the War of 1812 caused the town's profitable trade with the South Seas to falter. By 1828, the only fleet still running that route was that of Captain Obi Marsh, Obed Marsh, the head of one of the town's leading families. In 1840, Marsh started a cult in Innsmouth known as the Esoteric Order of Dagon, basing it on a religion practiced by certain Polynesian islanders, which he had met during his travels. Shortly thereafter, the town's fishing industry experienced a great upsurge. Records indicate that in 1846, a mysterious plague struck, struck the town, causing mass depopulation. In reality, the deaths were caused by the Deep Ones themselves, the reality of the fiction. Obed Marsh had entered into a contract with the aforementioned creatures, offering them sacrifices in exchange for plentiful gold and fish. When Obed and his followers were arrested... Oh, I'm sorry, are we recording again? Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> 
When Obed and his followers were arrested, the sacrificial rites ceased and the Deep Ones retaliated. The cult actively subsequently resumed and the inbreeding policy greatly increased, resulting in numerous deformities. Consequently, Innsmouth was shunned for many years until 1927 when it came under investigation by federal authorities for alleged bootlegging. The following year, and apparently due to the results of their research, these authorities decided to detonate explosives in Devil Reef near Innsmouth and arrest most of the locals. The The Innsmouthians were not taken to a common jail, but instead they disappeared mysteriously, or the government caused them to, Quote, disappear, unquote. Well, there must be something like that in the back of the Innsmouth people. The place is always badly cut off from the rest of the county. By marshes and creeks that we can't be sure about the ins and outs of the matter. But it's pretty clear that old Captain Marsh must have brought some odd specimens when he had all three of his ships in commission back in the 20s and 30s. 1820s and 30s, mind you. There certainly is a strange kind of streak in Innsmouth, folks, today. I don't know how to explain it, but it's the sort of thing that makes your skin crawl. You'll notice it in Sergeant if you take his bus. Some of them have a queer narrow heads and flat noses and bulgy, starry eyes that never seem to shut. And their skin ain't quite right. Rough and scabby at the sides of the necks are all shriveled and creeped up. Get bald too, very young. The older fellows look the worst. Fact is, I don't believe I've ever seen a very old chap of that kind. Guess they might die looking in the glass. <laughs> Animals hate them. They used to have lots of horses. Mm. They used to have a lot of horse trouble before the autos came in. The esoteric order of Dagon became the primary religion in Izmith after Marsh returned from the South Seas with the Dark Religion circa 1838. It quickly took root due to its promises of ex- expensive gold artifacts and fish, which were desired by the primarily fishing town. The central beings worshipped by the order were the Father Dragon and Mother Hydra. Dagon. The central beings worshipped by the order were the Father Dagon and the Mother Hydra, and to a lesser extent Cthulhu. Dagon and Hydra were seen largely as intermediaries between the various gods, rather than as gods themselves. Even so, the cultists sacrificed various locals to the Deep Ones at specific times in exchange for a limitless supply of gold and fish. The esoteric order of Dagon, which masqueraded as the local Masonic movement, had three oaths which members had to take. The first was an oath of secrecy, the second an oath of loyalty, and the third an oath to marry a Deep One and bear or sire its child. Um... Due to the latter oath, inbreeding became the norm in Innsmouth, resulting in widespread deformities and many, ha- many half-breeds. The esoteric order of Dagon was seemingly destroyed when one of Obed Marsh's lost descendants sent the U.S. Treasury Department to seize the town. I'm going to have to read that again. The esoteric order of Dagon was seemingly destroyed when one of Obed Marsh's lost descendants sent the U.S. Treasury Department to seize the town. As a result, the town was more or less destroyed and the order was thought disbanded. 
If we talk about Innsmouth, we need to talk about Deep Ones. The beings first appeared in Lovecraft's novella, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, 1931, but were already hinted at in the early short story, Dagon. The Deep Ones are a race of intelligent ocean-dwelling creatures, approximately human-shaped, but with a fishy, froggy appearance. They regularly mate with humans along the coast, creating societies of hybrids. Numerous mythos elements are associated with the Deep Ones, including the legendary town of Innsmouth, the undersea city of Johannesley. Oh, we don't need to read this part. I mean, numerous mythos. Yeah, we don't need to read that part. Really? I'm yeah. finding it very interesting. I, oh, I know, but it's just like stuff that we, I'm, I'm like looking at it and it's like, you know, this is all stuff that we just covered. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Read it. I'll put it in. I won't put it in. We'll okay. figure it out. All right. Uh, legendary town of Innsmouth, the undersea. Okay. <clears throat> Numerous mythos elements are associated with the Deep Ones, including the legendary town of Innsmouth, the undersea city of Yahanithli, the esoteric, esoteric order of Dagon, and the beings known as Father Dagon and Mother Hydra. After they de- their debut in Lovecraft's tale, the sea-dwelling creatures resurfaced in the works of other authors, especially August Erleth. Augie Dog Durleth. Lovecraft provides a description of the Deep Ones in the shadow over Innsmouth. I think their predominant color was a grayish green, though they had white bellies. They were mostly shiny and slippery, but the ridges of their back were scaly. Their forms vaguely suggested the anthropod, while their heads and hands of fish with prodigious bulging eyes that never closed, and the sides of their necks were palpating gills, and their long claws were webbed. They hopped irregularly, sometimes on two legs, and sometimes on four. I was somehow glad that I had no more than four limbs. Their croaking, baying voices, clearly used for articulate speech, held all the dark shades of expression of which their staring faces lacked. They were the blasphemous fish frogs of the nameless design, living and horrible. Mm. Lovecraft describes the Deep Ones as a race of undersea-dwelling humanoids whose preferred habit is deep habitat is deep in the ocean hence their name. However, despite being primarily marine creatures, they can come to the surface and can survive on land for extended periods of time. All Deep Ones are immortal. None die except by accident or violence. They are said to serve the beings known as Father Dagon and Mother Hydra, as well as Cthulhu. The backstory of The Shadow Over Innsmouth involves a bargain between Deep Ones and humans, in which the aquatic species provides plentiful fishing and gold in the form of strangely formed jewelry. In return, the land dwellers give human sacrifices and a promise of mixing the mating of humans with Deep Ones. Although the Deep One hybrid offspring are born with the appearance of a normal human being, the individual eventually transform into a deep one, gaining immortality by default, only when the transformation is complete. The transformation usually occurs when the individual reaches middle age. As the hybrid gets older, he or she begins to acquire the so-called Innsmouth look, as he or she takes on more and more attributes of the deep one's race. 
the ears shrink, the eyes bulge and become unblinking, the head narrows and gradually goes bald, the skin becomes scabrous as it changes into scales, and the neck develops folds which later become gills. When the hybrid becomes too obviously non-human, it is hidden away from outsiders. Eventually, however, the hybrid will be compelled to slip into the sea to live with the deep ones in one of their undersea cities. You know, what's interesting about this, of course, is that um, the daughter in the thing on the doorstep uh-huh. is a hybrid, right? Yeah. Well, she didn't get to reach middle age. Yeah. Because her father's spirit inhabited her body, and then he went on to her husband's body, and then killed her, I guess, so that, um, what's his name, didn't have to live in a female body, yeah. which, ugh, 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 ugh. Yeah, yeah. anyway, I have to say, it's not that bad. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, she may have turned into a deep one, but... Ephraim Waite didn't. Well, Ephraim Waite wasn't in a hybrid body until he took over his daughter's body. Oh, I didn't think she had... I mean, I didn't... Well, she was a hybrid. Possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, she had the, quote, intimate look, unquote. True. Very true. All right. Um, Audible. Let's talk about Audible. (laughs) You got it, mister. Um... So, I just finished reading American Gods for like the 16th time by Neil Gaiman, but I didn't actually read it, I listened to it. Yeah? Yeah, it was great. And actually, this 10th anniversary edition they've got on Audible Uh is really interesting because they have a lot of different um, voice actors read the different parts, and so it's kind of like almost a radio play. And also, there's an intro by Neil Gaiman himself, and he does some of the readings as well. It's uh, it's really great. It's a com- good good companion to the TV show. Cool. Yeah. Although the, I have to say, the TV show does deviate quite a bit from yeah. from the book, but in a really good way. <laughs> okay. But you're gonna say someone should check out American Gods on Audible, and if they need an Audible. Trial, they should go to audibletrial.com slash pgttcm. Sure. Yeah, you should check out American Gods on Audible. And if you need to sign up, please go to audibletrial slash pgttcm to sign up and you can get a free book, right? That's true. And it also benefits the show quite a bit. So we we get like 15 bucks. We do. We get 15 bucks, which is awesome because that's like your first month. We get that money. So you get to, you get to be a part of audible for free and we get money and you also get a free book and it's pretty awesome. Yay. Yay. Double. The Arkham Detective returns to investigate a murder of the kidnapping of a small child. The trail leads to Innsmouth by the sea. The mystery unfolds with the frightful creatures that lurk there and the discovery of what they intend to call up a true Lovecraftian tale. A really great book from Byron Craft, uh, part of his Arkham Detective series. Highly recommended book. Really likable, cool, fun character, like main character. It's 
Lovecrafty in the sense that the uh, elements are Lovecraftian. The story itself is not very Lovecraftian. It is very kind of hard-boiled, dick kind of action-y, fun, pulpy Cthulhu. And if there's one thing that I have to say that uh, Mr. Craft is well-talented at, it is a pulpy, action, puncho, uh, weird tales for men kind of like action stories i mean i i I don't think of him as like an action writer but if you've read uh the cry of cthulhu or even shoggoth you're gonna know that he can write actioning elements as well as just a well-constructed story i highly recommend the innsmouth look part two will be going into other stories of the arkham detective cycle by byron craft and if you're at a convention somewhere in the southwest, if 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 you're you're you know look for him. Look if if you know you're you're in a bookstore in uh, uh, I don't know Nevada somewhere, you, you might run across him or Sean uh, Hode. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, check out. It's on Amazon. You can pick it up for five bucks in paperback. Uh, there's some used ones for more than five bucks, so that's a good sign. And it is available on Kindle, which I love books on Kindle. Not an ad for Kindle, just an ad for electronic books, because sometimes I like to have my tablet, and I don't want to have a bunch of books. But then I switched completely to a Kindle, and I didn't have any of my books for a couple of years. And I have to say, when I got all my books back, I have had a hard time going back to my tablet. Anyway, so, okay, listen. Look, we need to talk. We need to talk about the show. If you want to help the show out, please go to pgttcm.com or pgttcm.podbean.com and donate some money or find out how you can send a story that you've written, a book that you've written. Find out how you can be part of the people who help out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Read a story. Write a story. Uh, Tell us what you think about the Cthulhu Mythos and what your project is that is about the Cthulhu Mythos that you want us to know about. Just as simple as that. That's what People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is. It's people who have something to say that they want to share with other people, but they also love the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, this is not a, uh, this is not a soapbox for, I don't know, uh, gross political agendas and or ideas. Uh, just because there's Lovecraft read on this doesn't mean that we're down with misogyny, misandry, racism, or any real gross stuff like that. Yeah. No. Um, And if you have a project that you want people to know about, if you have a product that you want people to know about, why not advertise with us? We get roughly, um, I don't know, I'm going to say probably about 600 to 700 downloads a month per episode. And that doesn't even include just the people who listen to it on their web browser. I mean, I get about 
20, I'm going to say 27, currently about 2,700 uh, hits to the RSS feed currently. And it's only $30 an episode if you want to subscribe, not subscribe, if you want to go with us, you know, hey, have a, advertise with us. It'll be great. It'll be good. You'll like it. And people will find out about it. People who specifically like the Cthulhu Mythos will find out about your product. Find out about your project. Find out about whatever it is that you want to do. And if you're small press, hey, that's even better. Because we love small press here at People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And you can contact us at pgttcm at gmail.com. Go to the website, click on any of the contact button stuff. And help support the show. We've got a Patreon scheme going on. We've got the PayPal scheme going on. We've got all that stuff going on. And just find out how to help out. And stay squiggly. Keep it weird. Keep listening. Tell your friends about us. And subscribe. Rate and review. Uh, Got some crummy reviews from people who only listened to the early, early episodes and didn't give the new episodes a chance. Hey, why don't... Why don't you turn that around? You're listening to the show. You like the show. All right. Enough NPR. I don't know. What do you call that? Uh, pledge drive garbage. All right. I'm out of here. I got to edit another episode. I love you. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is edited and produced by D.B. Spitzer. Voice talents D.B. Spitzer and Seraphie. Part of the Dark Myths Collective. Check out Dark Myths at DarkMyths.org. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe and tell your friends. Thank you. Innsmouth was first identified in two of his cycle of sonnets, Fungi and Yagoth. Fungi, huh? Fungi? 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 Fungi is the Italian pronunciation. Oh. <laughs> Innsmouth was first identified in, his, in two of his cycle of sonnets, Fungi from Yagoth, Lovecraft, mm, cycle sonnets, Fungi from Yagoth. Okay, well that doesn't. Can I read that again? Uh I'm sorry. I'm messy today. Go for it.